0: Hello Untangling audience, welcome to another episode of Untangling. Hope everybody's having a great week, haven't been on the air for a while, because we just got back from a trip to Chile, as some of you might pronounce it, Chile. Anyways, let's untangle the country of Chile. A few things, I did a lot of reading on Chile, did a lot of research, what to expect, I watch YouTube videos and nothing can prepare you for the experience. So, first things first. So, we end up staying in Chicago in the Hyatt Hotel that is roughly maybe 10 minutes from O'Hare Airport. And this is pretty crazy because I turn on this street and the street looks familiar. It's myself, my wife, and our daughter. My wife says, why does the street look so familiar? And I look to the right, we see this like hall or in a restaurant. We're like, this is crazy. And then my wife, it hit her. It's. She said, hey, this is actually where one of my close friends and I was at the wedding as well. uh, Liz had her wedding. And I'm like, what are the chances? And we stayed at this exact hotel. And I'll never forget because my daughter was roughly around two years old. We get invited to a Chicago wedding. The bride is of Polish descent. The groom is of Polish descent. So just a big Polish wedding. And it was an absolute blast. We had uh, our mother, my mother-in-law, come in to babysit because, you know, our daughter was two. And she literally babysat at the Hyatt while we crossed the street. And went to the reception, went to the wedding. It was a blast. So we stayed at the same Hyatt across the street from where we attended a wedding, which was roughly, I want to say, maybe 10 years ago. Man, time goes by fast. Actually, 10 years ago would have been what? 2013? No. So maybe five to six years ago, if my uh, math is correct. So anyways, we end up staying at the Hyatt. And we just know we have a long, long trip ahead of us. So what we did is we decided to fly out of Chicago. Uh, My wife organized a trip, by the way. If I organized it, we would have all been in trouble. Uh, She is an extreme planner. Planned this thing basically a year in advance. There is something to planning, especially when you're going to another country. So we end up sleeping at the Hyatt. Get in. I want to say it was on a Wednesday, or yeah, it was a Wednesday, uh, uh, a Wednesday night, and we ended up staying at the Hyatt. And it's just a chance to relax because we have a early flight out of O'Hare to Panama. And so again, with the American airports, uh, they don't spend a penny in regards to reinvesting in it. It is what it is. So we flew Copa Airlines. Shout out to Copa Airlines. What an experience it was. We get there at 6 a.m. We're all tired, heading to Panama. It's a five-hour flight from Chicago to Panama. We basically sleep maybe halfway there. And with Copa Airlines being an international flight, they bring you breakfast. They bring you coffee, water. I'm like, what's the point of first class if they treat people in coach like this? So just an amazing experience, um, movies to watch, five-hour flight. But one of the things I did is I actually started reading this book because right now, to be honest with you, TV is so bad and there is just nothing that piques my interest, that could literally keep my attention for maybe more than two minutes. So I started reading a book about, um, uh, it's called The Premonition by Michael Lewis. And Michael Lewis is one of my favorite authors. He wrote Moneyball. He he wrote The Big Short. He wrote so many blockbuster books uh, that are literally 90% of them are movies. The other uh, 10%, they're just a must read. So I started reading The Premonition by Michael Lewis. And with The Premonition, it is a fascinating story. And I didn't want to start reading about COVID after just, you know, reliving it for the last three years and it's still ongoing. But with the premonition, it basically explains how we got here. In Michael Lewis, I'm telling you, this guy, he is one of the greatest authors of our time. So the premonition, I won't bore you with the details, it just takes a look at all the moving parts and who these people were. In order to fight COVID. So the first chapter starts off about a lady who takes a position at the uh, human health department. And with the human health department, it was a joke. It's in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, This is a PhD, a doctor, that they told her, hey, we'll start you off at $30,000. Sorry about any background noise that you're hearing. Running the uh, dishwasher. I got some laundry going, trying to get caught up. Not that I'm back. But anyways, back to the uh, premonition. So this lady takes her job at the... This lady, this doctor takes a job at the human uh, health department. And again, it's a joke. They won't pay you anything over $30,000. And she gets in there and she realizes, man, this is an extremely important job. But how come nobody takes it seriously? So she's trying to make a name for herself and... She ends up doing so by investigating a doctor who's been practicing for 30 years. And a few patients uh, got sick, and she just did some digging. So she goes, Hey, do you mind if I shadow you? And one of the things she learned is when you shadow people, especially when you're in an authoritative position, they tend to be on their best behavior. So, you know, she shadowed this doctor. And everything seemed on the up and up, but something just didn't seem right. So, you know, she waited a couple weeks and said, hey, I'm in the area. Would you mind if I stop by? So she ends up stopping by and she discovers that the receptionist is a beautician uh, who's working in a doctor's office, which is not a bad thing because she's, kind, you know, part secretary, part beautician. But she asked her, she goes, hey, when you uh, put the blood away, how do you put it away? And the beautician says, you know, I just put uh, one on the right, one on the left, depending on which who the patient is, what kind of blood type. And she also said, okay, where do you keep your files? And the beautician says, oh, we really don't. And so she started talking to the doctor, and she's just like, uh, the needles, I've noticed that you use them a few times. Like, do you ever throw them away? And the doctor's just like, no, I don't throw them away. Uh, what I'll do is I'll sterilize them and use them again, and this is very alarming uh, to a uh, physician who's working for the Health and Human uh, Services. She's doing an investigation, and she's just like, there's so many red flags here. Uh, I'm going to basically shut you down because the way you're running your practice, I'm very concerned. Long story short, this end up getting back to the CDC, and they said, you don't have that kind of authority. You better be right. So she had a few of the patients uh, you know, who the doctor was seeing— test because they just wanted to make sure everything was on the up and up but long story short i want to say out of the 10 patients they tested seven of them came back for um hepatitis a b and c whatever hepatitis is out there they all came back for it and so she ends up shutting it down and all these people test positive for hepatitis so she learned at that point with Health and Human Services and the CDC always kind of being in the way, like, man, does she have a tough mountain to climb? So the next chapter, and again, I'm doing this book, No Justice, uh, just paraphrasing. The next chapter is about this um, uh, student, and uh, this actually is actually how the book starts. And this student, uh, and she's in like elementary school. Her father's a scientist, and she tells her father, I'm doing a study, and it's basically if a pandemic were to break out like the 1918 flu, how could we stop it? And she created this model, and what the model showed her was the importance of people just not being in close contact. And so the father, who's a scientist, started hearing this and saying, "Wow, you might be onto something." And you know, the idea never left his left his head. So he ends up, the scientist, who's the father, ends up working at the White House under George W. Bush. George W. Bush reads the 1918 uh, flu pandemic. And 50 million Americans died from this pandemic. And he says, George Bush, uh, President Bush says, what's our plan if a pandemic were to break out? And so basically the scientist is uh, responsible for be- building a team to tackle this issue. He, the scientist basically recruits the best of the best. But one thing about the CDC is it's a bureaucracy. Uh, so he reaches out to the CDC each person who can make a decision has ten other people to report to. So nothing gets done. He states his frustration with the CDC because they never want to do anything. However, they also want to be politically correct, which could be a dangerous thing when you're talking about life and death. So it goes into all these different real life characters. And all this happened. This is a this isn't fiction. This is a biography slash History documentary slash live evidence of people who live this. And long story short, it kind of shows you in 2004 the work that went into preparing in case a pandemic were to ever break out. And I won't ruin the book for you, but here we are with COVID. So it kind of all ties in in how we got here on how the vaccines were basically created Because this is something, because of the SARS uh, epidemic, which was caught early, it was dealt with so well that, you know what, we felt like we could tackle any pandemic. And one of the things, you know, this one scientist said was, one of the key demographics that we're leaving out is actually children. Because with children, they're taught to embrace. They don't understand social distancing. So... If there was a pandemic, do we shut the schools down? So there was all this back and forth. No, it would kind of cripple the economy. So they get into a great debate about that. But the scientist said, you know what? As an adult, I really cannot see the world through a children's lens. So he ends up going to elementary school to say, hey, could I just shadow to see what the kids do? And one of the things, you know, the scientist's model captured was the importance of social distancing, But what he forgot was, wow, over 80 million children in the United States take the bus to school. And his model didn't account for that. And he's just like, wait a minute, if a pandemic were to ever break out, you would basically have to shut down the children's aspect of spreading the disease, not the senior citizens. And so it's just just such a fascinating book. And again, I'm doing it no justice. But I was basically able to read 85% of that book on the flight to Panama. We land in Panama in an absolutely beautiful airport. No hassle. That's where we would connect to go to Santiago, Chile. Uh, The people in Panama, amazing. We had a two-hour Hour and a half, two hour layover. Uh, We got on the flight to Santiago, Chile. And the adventure began. One of the things that really stood out to me on the flight. Again, you're treated like royalty. Instead of the United States where everything is basically about a profit. I remember talking to somebody in regards to the airline industry. And one person said, you know, with the airlines, they actually figured out a way to save money by removing olives if you were to order a martini on a flight back in the day. So basically just any way to save and cut cost for American Airlines, they're willing to do that. Uh, whereas with flying overseas, it's simply you paid for your ticket. there's no overbooking. Everybody gets a slot to put their carry-on luggage. And it's more of a comfort instead of a price gouging expedition. So the flight was amazing. I did get a chance to fly over Havana, Cuba, uh, which I never thought I'd see the day. I took pictures. Absolutely beautiful. The one thing is once you leave Chicago, and this was on our way to Panama when I got a chance to see Havana, Cuba, is they literally fly that plane at like 10,000 feet. It is such a smooth ride that it is not even funny. So I flew over Havana, Cuba, took a picture, sent it to a few close friends, uh, sent it to my father, and I said, Castro forever. Uh, No matter how people feel about Fidel Castro uh, in the United States, my feeling about Fidel Castro is that he was one of the few leaders who actually sent physicians into Haiti, uh, where I was born. Uh, so therefore, um, you know what? No knock on him in my book, where other countries, they're not willing to you they're not willing to help any country that doesn't form a democratic government or gets in line with how you know the United States might see the world, even though, Haiti did try to build a democracy. It is an absolute dumpster fire uh, right now. So flew over Havana, Cuba, took amazing pictures. When we landed in Santiago, uh, they are three hours ahead. So the airport was absolutely beautiful. State of the art, literally, I felt like I was stepping into the year 2040. In regards to how this airport was built, how clean it is, we went through customs, literally showed them our passports, and it was simply, welcome to Chile. So, what an adventure. Okay, so we get to Santiago, Chile. Uh, One of the first things I noticed is simply the hustle. So this guy's just like, hey, you're looking for a cab? And I was trying to get an Uber, but I didn't know where to go to get the Uber. So I said, yes, we're looking for a cab. So, you know, he helps us out. And, you know, this is just a guy hustling to make money. So one of the things I noticed is with the rear view mirror, Um, his car had the camera on there, he could see his rear view camera. So instead, I have a Ford Explorer. So my rear view camera, I got to look down where the radio is in order to see it. Whereas with this car, it was on the rear view mirror. So I'm just like, wow, that's pretty cool. And one of the first things I noticed is how smooth the highways are in Chile. And I'm like, wow, this is a really nice country. But it was dark out. So, you know, there's only so much you could see, but it's a new experience. So we end up getting to the hotel and I end up trying to get out of the hotel. But there's this big gate to the hotel for security purposes. okay? and um, he's just like, no, no, don't get out. I'll take care of this. So he goes to the gate. They open the gate. And long story short, we get to our room and the room is absolutely amazing. We are just exhausted. So you got to figure by this time, it's maybe 10 o'clock at night. We've been traveling all day. So all three of us just basically crashed. You're probably wondering, okay, so if you're in Chile, where is your dog Cheeto? With Cheeto, we've really lucked out. Because through Rover.com or the Rover app, if you don't have it, the Rover app basically allows you to find a dog sitter in your neighborhood. But we were able to find a dog sitter roughly around a year ago. And every time we travel, we basically just simply call them, tell them we're going to be traveling. Uh, Would you like to take on uh, Cheeto? And they have other dogs. So Cheeto absolutely loves it. He was able to basically spend time with that family. So back to Chile. So we get to Chile. uh, We're in Santiago and it's the morning. And it's one of those places where it literally feels like you just woke up on the planet Mars. Everything's so new. So I look out the window and I am blown away. So I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, covered it in the last episode, and they have some mountains. So Santiago, it's a valley, so it reminds me a little bit of Arizona and Las Vegas mixed, but the size of these mountains, it's mind-blowing. I'm looking at this mountain, and I'm like, that mountain has to be at least 25,000 to 30,000 feet. City is absolutely amazing, and I'm just fired up at this point. I'm like, I gotta get out. We gotta go explore. Let's go get breakfast. My daughter didn't want to leave the hotel room. She goes, "Can we get room service?" Whatever, no rush. We're gonna be here for roughly seven to ten days, so we end up getting room service. And if you've ever been to another country, and I've been to you know Canada, I've been to uh, Haiti, I've been to Scotland, Ireland. Um, uh, England, you name it. And one of the things that's so fascinating is how different food tastes. So my daughter's obsessed with bacon and scrambled eggs. So we get the bacon, scrambled eggs. They bring it to the rum. The eggs just taste different. And I mean that in a good way. It's literally that taste if a uh, hen were to lay an egg and you cracked it right there and cooked it. It just tastes different than, you know, in the States where it has to go through the process, so on and so forth. So I'm like, man, I miss this taste. Those eggs, the bacon, and that bacon, it's literally like from a freshly slaughtered uh, pig, okay? It reminds me a little bit of Haiti in regards to how the food tastes. There's no masking anything. There's no hay preservatives any of that nonsense. You are eating literally freshly killed food. If you're into that, good for you. For me, it's just basically how I was born, what I'm used to. I had to adjust obviously to the way things are done in America, but I'm telling you when you go to another country, the food tastes different. One of the first things I noticed, so we go outside in Santiago, it is The city, it's alive. You see the people. And I'm looking around and I said, I can't believe the graffiti. I'm familiar with New York. Been there more times than I could count. And I would say New York is probably the graffiti capital of the world. Santiago blows it out of the water. They are obsessed with graffiti. And graffiti, and when I say that, I mean art. Okay, Same as in New York. Santiago, I know sometimes it's used to mark gang territory, so on and so forth. But there is an art to graffiti. You see it everywhere. I'm blown away. Took so many pictures. Like, I can't believe the graffiti. This is like so cool. The streets are amazing. The, and one of the things I noticed is, just using Uber, is what the gig economy has done for that country. The gig economy, Uber. Uber Eats, they have a company there, I forget the name, where they're kind of like an Uber Eats delivering food. So if you have the people who have the cars, they're able to make money through Uber, whoever else is down there, maybe Lyft. I personally just used uh, Uber. But for the people who have bicycles and, electrical, and electric bicycles, which is huge down there, they're delivering food. So I'm like, man, the gig economy literally took this place to another level. And the art is just mind-blowing. So, we're trying to get settled in. We're exploring. And we end up, you know, going out. And my daughter very simple. Hey, since this is new, can we just go hang out at the pool? Our hotel had an amazing pool that I took a, a video of. And we said, not a problem. So, we end up heading out. And behind our hotel, it's this really nice area and they have the cobblestones so if i had to compare to anything it would be more like a faneuil hall based on how the streets are designed the food is amazing you could shop you can eat the hustle and bustle you see people grinding people are playing music and it just feels alive and oh by the way the weather is a nice 85 degrees No cloud in the sky. It's not, no humidity. It's almost like the coastal weather coming in. Not dry like Vegas, but it's kind of like in between. It's really strange, but it felt so good. Going around, taking pictures of these very expensive mansions. I'm just blown away by this place. The monuments, the statues. And one of the things I notice is the influence of Italian culture and also German culture. It's a long story. I don't want to get into it on how it started, but maybe the next untangling uh, episode. So I took a lot of picture of uh, artwork. We went to this house, and my daughter's like, "Look at this!" We literally had to. Cl- the hills and the mountains are amazing. So you get a view of the whole city because you're in these hills, you're in these mountains, and we found this site where it's literally like the Encanto House. We called it. Oh, my goodness, that's the Encanto House. Everybody's there taking pictures. We met a few people the from Britain, and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, you know, we're from uh, United States, Chicago. How about yourself? Oh, we're from Britain. And they would say, it's so funny, all of them, they would say, are you here on holiday? They always use the word holiday, and it's so funny. I just love the way they say it. You had fountains that kind of reminded me of like Las Vegas. Chile is Chile is one of these places where like maybe this is where a lot of the Vegas ideas like came from because just the architect, the landscape, just absolutely amazing. The plants were absolutely amazing. I did not know this, but Chile has Chile has a lot of uh, cacti. Or cactuses, however you want to use that, plural or just singular. And just taking pictures of these, it was just breathtaking. Every day was beautiful. We had a blast in Santiago. The people are so friendly. And it's so diverse. There's really not a look. It's everything from Mexican, Colombian, Brazilian, African American and if you remember on my last podcast when I told my mother I was going to Chile she said hey there's a lot of haitians there and I and I told her there's no way the hotel I'm walking in I see this guy he looks like a you know nba player athletic tall looks apart just a nice guy working at the hotel front desk and he's on a call and he's talking in creole and I asked him I said Haitian, And he goes, we, oui. And that's basically, are you Haitian? And he said, yes. And, you know, I just started talking Creole with him. Like, what part of Haiti are you from? And he goes, oh, I'm actually, he goes, it's hard to explain. He goes, how about you? I said, I'm probably an hour south of this uh, city uh, called Okai. He goes, oh my goodness, I'm 35 minutes east of Okai. And we just hit it off. And I was blown away. First thing I did when I landed, and it's a long story, I'll talk about landing back in the States. But when I called my mother, I go, Ma, you know, you are right. There are Haitians and a lot of Haitians in Chile. And she goes, told you. So that was kind of mind-blowing. The person working at the hotel turned out to be uh, from Haiti. But Santiago was absolutely beautiful. I'd go out because around 6, 7, it's time for, you know, my daughter to go to bed. So my wife was like, hey, would you mind going out, grabbing dinner? One of the things when you go out to grab dinner, no rush. So you put in an order, get ready to wait 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half. Because nobody is rushing. Because it's not about the mighty dollar. It's about life. And I sat there, I drank this beer called Tropica. And it's a Chilean beer just sitting there. Waiting for the food. The people watching. Just an absolute blast. As I'm heading back to the hotel. I see a square. And it's like 150 people. And it's all guys, girls, and huge LGBTQ population in Chile. So it's great to see the diversity. They're all just dancing. And I'm like, what are they dancing to? And they're dancing to Salsa. And they have a teacher in the middle of the square. It is just alive. One of the things about going to a place like Chile, I can't believe how fast the time goes. You look up, it's literally 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, how did that happen? I'm happy to say through all the walking, I was able to get to 19,000 steps. However, still can't crack the magical 20,000 steps. So, ended up getting food for the family, relaxed, no rush. The next day, we went to the museum in Santiago, and I was blown away. One of the things I really noticed is how everybody there basically embraces sexuality. There's no shame to it. You'll be walking around, and you just see people making out. And I'm just like, looking at my wife, I'm like, this is the city of love, you know, they say that about France, but I, I don't know. Everybody was literally making out whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's you know, teenagers on a date. People love to show affection, and the make out session was no joke. Uh, the other thing was just the art a lot of naked women, um, a lot of art about motherhood, uh, breastfeeding. Everything is simply just on display, and it was absolutely amazing. A lot of African uh, art, which was so mind-boggling. This one museum we went to, it had 3D art, which this artist created, and nobody's been able to replicate. And I took a picture of it. I'm standing in front of the picture And it is breathtaking. It is just simply a 3D painting. And I'm not talking about from a printer. I'm talking about somebody painted this of the Chilean mountains. Just absolutely breathtaking. Also, just going to the museum. Learning more about Pinochet, the ruthless dictator. His last 10 minutes in office. They captured it. You hear the radio calls. You see the tanks coming in to basically try to replace this guy who can't let go of power. I'm doing the story no justice, but it was absolutely amazing. And part of the museum also had just random pictures of families from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Up till today, it is just breathtaking. Whether it's the farmland whether it's being by the ocean, mind-blowing art. So took a lot of pictures in regards to that, and we just had an absolute blast. We actually did get a chance to meet our babysitter. Uh, Her name is Cassie, and she is graduated from Johns Hopkins, very, very intelligent. She's down in Chile doing immigration reform, we were just talking to her, so we got a chance to meet up. And one of the things I told her, I said, Cassie, you would be crazy to ever leave this place. She did tell us she got accepted into a Harvard MIT program in Boston, Massachusetts. So she would be leaving Chile in August. For those of you who don't know, my wife actually went to the University of Harvard so just a lot of discussions around that, what to expect, and just great conversations. And I told her, told her I'm like, listen, uh, prepare for that Boston weather. It's nothing like this. You are literally in paradise in this place. So just so great to get caught up with her. Just witnessing the hustle and bustle of Chile. It's just one of those places where there's something for everybody from the mountains, the pool, and we didn't even make it to Del Mar. So Del Mar is the ocean part of Chile. So this is day one, and we don't go to Del Mar until day three. So tune in next time. I will cover more of Santiago and our trip to Del Mar, how we got there, Going out to Valparaiso, which is basically the city outside of Del Mar. So a lot more to come, but what a trip. Wanted to get caught up. Hope you enjoyed this episode and more to come in regards to Chile. This will be one out of three episodes on the beautiful country and people of Chile.